Hey, morning, everybody. My name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace. Uh, very excited to be here with you this morning, sharing with you. Get to uh, finish off the summer, right? To uh, to finish up the Follow Me series uh, this morning. As we conclude the Follow Me series, we're actually going to be taking a look at best case scenario, which is actually a lot of fun for me, being an idealist. Any any other idealists in the house? Some polite chuckles. They do say that most idealists are introverts. The cynics are probably a little bit more lively, right? <laughs> We're going to look at best case scenario this morning, and uh, it's, it can be compelling for many of us. And I think it's why there's this trending phenomenon. Maybe you've heard of it, but it's called the power of and. Anybody heard of the power of and up there? We've got a few people. Okay, so there's this new trending thing, the power of and, and it basically is this. It's basically this idea that Okay, we're, we're not going to settle for a scenario that is just merely good or even great, but using the power of and, we're going to push toward a best case scenario. For instance, okay, we'll, uh, we'll do an example that maybe would resonate with some of the married folk in, in here at the house this morning. Um, so let's say you're married, you have a spouse, and you have in-laws. And here's a very good scenario, right? A very good scenario is that you have incredibly supportive in-laws. Right? Who would agree with that? You have very supportive in-laws. Yes, that is a very good scenario. But the power of and would add to that and push toward best case scenario and it would go something like this. I have incredibly supportive in-laws and I never have to be around them. <laughs> now we're talking best case scenario, right? Okay, that was a little below the belt. Uh, how, how, about, how about an example for some of, the, some of those of us here this morning that might have roommates, right? Okay, so here's a very good scenario. I have a roommate who pays rent on time, okay? But if we use the power of and and push past a good scenario into best case scenario, we may have something like this. I have a roommate who pays rent on time and, you could even say it with me, and they don't make out on the couch with their significant other when I'm around, right? That is the best case scenario. For the parents in the house, it might be something like this. My children sleep on an airplane, and I don't even have to drug them. (laughs) That is best case scenario. I actually would like to thank Wendy's personally for providing for me my food best case scenario, the power of and, because I get to have french fries and a chocolate shake in my mouth at the same time. (laughs) Thank you, Wendy's. So this morning, we're going to finish off this Follow Me series, which has been an investigation into the life of Jesus Christ. We're looking at what he did, the, the, the practices, the disciplines that he made a part of his life, and what would it look like if we followed those? And we're going to look at a very short passage this morning that actually affords us the opportunity to employ the power of and and think about what it might mean in terms of following Jesus' best case scenario. And so... We'll get to the passage in a minute, but just, just to give you a sense for where we're going, we're going to look at, in this short passage, we're going to look at something Jesus did, right? And a, deci- a decision he makes, an action he chooses, and we're going to maybe try to figure out, okay, this is really good. Like, this is actually a great thing Jesus does. And we might be inspired to say, look, this is so good what he does. I'm inspired to adopt that as part of my own life and follow that. And I might even, I might even walk away saying something along the lines of Jesus, the way that you live, especially in this instance, the way that you lived was amazing, it was great, it was good. Jesus, help me live how you lived, right? And if we do that, if we walk away with that, that is a good scenario, that is a great scenario. Jesus, help me live how you lived. 
But we, but the cool thing about this passage we're going to read today is we get to dig a little bit deeper and we get to see that the action he takes, the decision he makes is actually born out of and in line with a deep desire in him. And that's a better case scenario, right? And we're not too, we're not too naive to think that we can go through life and the good that we need to do, we always want to do. Right? Sometimes there's good that I'm going to need to do and I don't necessarily want to, but how much better of a scenario is it that, that my actions are in line with my desires? Right? The good that I, that, I, that I do is what I want to do. It's all in line. It's synced up. And, and if we could press into that, we might be walking away using the power of and, seeing something like, Jesus, help me to live how you live and, and help me to want what you want. Right? And that's actually where I get really excited. Okay, when we push beyond Jesus, help me to live how you lived, and we, and, and we push into Jesus, help me to want what you want. Right? Because when we do that, now we're starting, we're making like an invitation for God to do something in our hearts. Right? We're, we're, we're pushing beyond behavior adoption, and we're pushing into transformation. We're acknowledging Jesus as something more than a model for behavior, but as someone whose Holy Spirit has the potential to invade my heart and change who I am and change what I desire. And that's what gets me really fired up. And that's a better case scenario. Moving beyond Jesus, help me to live how you live and, and moving to Jesus, help me to want what you want. And then finally, and then, and then we'll, we'll get to it. What we're gonna see in this passage is that all of that, the decision Jesus makes, the, the, the action that he takes, which is good, is born out of a deep desire in his heart. All of that is in line with who he is, his self-definition, his very identity. It's all in line. And here's what's so cool about that. And this is why this is best case scenario is because if we, if we think about following that, we're not, we're not moving into a situation where we're gonna try to be something we're not. We're gonna try to be something we're not. And listen, as youth pastor here at Grace Community Church, at Grace Student Life Ministries, I know the number one thing that I can do to suck all the life out of our teenagers and suck all the life out of Grace Student Life Ministries is to encourage them or to challenge them or push them to be someone they are not. And so best case scenario when it comes to following Jesus is that flowing out of our understanding for who we are our desires are in line with that and our actions get to flow out of that. That is best case scenario. In fact, um, the very best moment of my entire summer revolves around a moment where I was rescued out of a situation where I was gonna have to try to be someone I was not. Okay, and if, if you've been around, I, I'm not up here very often, but um, usually when I am, I talk about how much I love weddings but hate weddings at the same time because there's dancing involved. Okay. <laughs> I know, it's very sad. And it's even more sad because everybody else in my family loves dancing. And I'm like the guy who's sitting in the seat and I'm just uncomfortable, you know, because I know everyone's out there and they're having such a good time. And they're like, we want you to have a good time with us, Matt. Come on out here. And I'm like, but it's, it's not me, you know, and I'm gonna have to try to be someone I'm not. So anyways, this summer, the very best moment of this summer was the moment I twisted my ankle on the beach because it rescued me out of dancing at a wedding the very next night. That is a true story. I'm on the beach, and you can picture this. I'm like that dad, right? The two, two kids on the boogie board in the shallow surf, right? And, they're, and I'm towing them, and I'm pulling them along. You've seen dads at the beach like this, right? And they're really into it, and they're like, faster, daddy, faster. And I'm running across the beach, and I'm towing them as fast as I can. In my mind, I'm thinking, I will be the best dad who's ever towed their kids on the beach ever. 
right? I have it in my head that I must be the ultimate, like tugboat, powerboat, fastest ever. And so, you know, you run for about 30 yards and then you kind of swing them around and, and you see the kids swing around in the shallow surf and there's a wave coming in and they hit the wave and they fly off the boogie board and they're all excited, right? So this is, this is, this is the scenario. I'm on a beach in, in, in South Carolina and uh, we've been doing this for about 10 minutes. And every single time, faster, daddy, faster. And I am sprinting as fast as I can on this beach and my foot finds a little hole that somebody had dug earlier that day when the, when the tide was out, right? And it was, the tide was back in now and that hole was covered up and I'm sprinting as fast as I can and I go down. I go down into that water and I'm rolling around and I lift my foot up out of that water and my ankle is already like twice the size of what it's supposed to be. There's like this little knot of tendon or something that shouldn't be where it is. And I'm thinking, this is not good. This is really not good. This is, this is bad. And then right after that, you know what I'm thinking? This is amazing. <laughs> this is the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And I'm limping back to the beach chairs, literally limping back to the beach chairs thinking, this is not good. This is not good. But this is amazing. Because tomorrow night at that dance, I'm going to be sitting in my chair and nobody's going to say anything to me. And I was. I was at that dance in my flip-flops because I couldn't fit my fat ankle into my shoe. And I was just thinking, this is the best wedding ever. But seriously, it's because I wasn't in a situation where I was trying to be someone I was not. And that's what we're looking at this morning, best case scenario, following Jesus. Um, so without further ado, let's, uh, let's read the scripture, and then we'll kind of dig into it and find out the, the specifics of all that we're talking about this morning. So we're reading out of Matthew chapter 3, the end of Matthew chapter 3, and the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, uh, the narrative goes like this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Can we just have a quick prayer? Pray with me. Lord, this morning uh, we're here and we are um, we're before your word and we're investigating who you are, Jesus. And we just ask this morning, Lord, that you would do what only you can do and you would help us understand something that might be helpful, something that might be inspiring. Help us to see you in a new way, in a clear way, in ourselves as well. Amen. Okay, so first things first, we said we're going to try to look at something Jesus does here that is good, an action that he takes, a decision that he makes that, that is something we will want to follow because we see the power in it. And so in order to do that, um, we, we want to just take a, a second look at what he's being tempted to do. What is it that the tempter challenges him to do? And the decision that he makes, why would that be good? So if we just revisit it, it says this, uh, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In other words, what's, what, what, what the tempter is doing, what Satan is doing, he's saying, you're, you're the son of God, right? And he says it kind of like in a, in a playful, if you are, but he's just messing with him. You're the son of God and you, you have the power 
You have the power to turn these stones into bread. You can snap your fingers and these stones become bread. You have that power and you should use it. Not only do you have that power to turn the stones into bread, but the power that you have, you should use the power that you have to provide for yourself. This is really at the heart of the temptation. You have power. You have the power to do this thing. The power that you have, you should use to satisfy your desire. The power that you have, you should use to satisfy yourself, to provide for yourself. That is the temptation. What are you gonna do with your power, right? At the issue, it's power and what are we choosing to do with it? And now Jesus here, he's in a moment where I've got a decision to make, okay? I am gonna continue to live out a life that is human, the way humans were meant to be human, or I'm gonna follow all humanity in terms of what I'm gonna choose to do with my power, right? And when we're talking about power for Jesus, we're talking about um, omnipotent power that could do anything. But for, for us, if we're gonna try to relate this to ourselves, we're talking about power. And I think of it three ways. We have, we have power, right? We got power and we have power and we have, we have power, right? We have power. What are we going to do with it? The temptation for Jesus here is use your power to provide for yourself. Use your power to satisfy yourself, which throughout the course of mankind has caused problems, right? When we decide to do this. Um, so here's the thing. I want to take a brief second to just tell you a quick story about something we do with the teenagers. Uh, we, we have basically four different areas where we uh, engage, our, give our teenagers opportunities to engage with the redemptive work God is doing around the world, uh, the, the, the healing and the restoration, the, the lifting up that God is doing around the world. Um, we, we first and foremost encourage them to serve in Graceland here and to, and to work with these kids and, and serve these kids and lift them up. We invite them to, to serve alongside us in Little Lights across the river in D.C., be a part of the redemptive work God is doing in some of the communities in D.C. We, we engage with Compassion International and all of the good things that are happening through them, and we support children, and we take trips down to Guatemala, and we get to know those kids and play with those kids and serve those communities. Um, but m- most recently, we took a trip down to Brazil because we know a family who we have an incredible relationship with, the Charisma family, and some of you may have heard about this family before. So every, every year or so, maybe every other year, we take a group of teenagers down and we get, to, we get to love that family. We get to play with those kids. We get to serve them. We get to give them a break. For a week, we do all the shopping. We do all the cooking. We do all the cleaning. We play with these kids. Right now, there's about, oh, I didn't even tell you about the family. So it's two parents, Ana Mazzino, uh, and over the course of their lives, they've adopted 35 kids or something like that. And in the house right now, there are 22 kids still living, right? And so we invite our teenagers to get to know them and to serve them and to lift them up. So last year when we were down there, um, we, we did some really neat things. We did a lot of painting. We did a lot of work around the house. We did a lot of playing with the kids. But the best thing we did when we were down there is each night, we kind of split off and huddled up. And it gave the charismas, the kids, a chance to shower up and get ready for the next day. And while they were doing that, just we as a group, our teenagers and our leaders, we would split off and we would just talk. We would have some devotion and we would do some praying. But a lot of times we just talked about what we noticed in the kids. And we went into that trip saying, listen, here's what we're going to do. Throughout the week, we're just going to watch these kids. We're going to pay attention to who they are. We're going to pay attention to everything we can notice about them. When we're playing with them, what do we notice? When we're serving alongside them, what do we notice? As they're interacting with each other and, and ourselves, what do we notice? And each night, we would carve out time as a team to just step away and write those things down. Anecdotes about what we noticed about each kid. With the end game being the final night we were there, we were going to have a big celebration. 
right? And we were going to gather the whole family in a circle and we had a hot seat and we were going to put each kid on the hot seat. And when each kid was on the hot seat, we were going to look at them and say, hey, listen, we've been watching you all week and here's what we noticed about who you are. Here's what we've been able to see in you that is so good and we just got to tell you what's so good. And so I remember one night before the final celebration, when we, it was just our team and we were gathered and we were talking about these kids. One of our teenagers here from Grace, they, they spoke up and they said, you know, um, this, one, this one charisma kid, he was one of the older ones. He was a 16-year-old. They said, one of our teenagers said this, he's so intense and like, he's so strong. And everything he does, it's with, it's with such passion. You just notice about, and, and I think what they noticed initially was the way that he played Frisbee. Like the way that he caught that Frisbee, like he was gonna just, I don't know, eat it or something. But he just, the way that he played Frisbee was so intense. The way that he ran around was so intense. The way that he painted was just so, it's just like he did it with such ferocity and intensity. And one of our teenagers said, if, just, if I were to say one word to describe him, it would be warrior. And I said, okay, okay, so we wrote it down. And then that final night in that celebration, we put, we put this child on a seat. And we said, hey, here's what we noticed about you. Everything you do, you do with intensity. You have an incredible amount of power, right? To the extent where we think that the best word that describes you is warrior. And if we were going into battle, we would want 100 of you on our side because you have so much power. And this was, this was our prayer for him. We pray for you that you will have a vision for how to use your power to lift up the weak. What our prayer for you is, young man, is that you will get, catch a vision for your life where you are using your power to lift up the weak, to defend the weak, to protect the poor. Your younger children, that you would use your power to lift your younger children, your younger siblings, that the power that we have noticed in you, that you would use it for good. Because isn't there something so compelling about when people who have power choose to use it, not to provide for themselves, not to satisfy themselves, but they're using their power, their power or their, or their power or their power, whatever it is. But those that have power, they choose to use it to lift up the weak, to lift up the poor, right? And if there's one thing that is, well, there are a lot of things that we can say is consistent throughout the Bible. When the Bible talks about religious behavior, there's one thing that when the Bible talks about religious behavior, it says, do this, and it's use your power to take care of the widows and the poor, there's something incredibly compelling about this decision that Jesus makes. He's refusing to use his power to provide for himself, refusing to use his power to satisfy what he wants. He wants bread. Trust me, he's been hungry for 40 days. He wants bread. But here he decides to not engage with something that mankind has struggled with throughout their entire history. And I'm not gonna use my power to provide for myself. And I'm not gonna use my power to satisfy myself. This is, a, this is a good thing, right? We would say this is a good thing. And some of us, we might be compelled to say, we want, this, is, this is something I want for me. I wanna use my power to lift others up. And so we might be tempted to pray this prayer, Jesus, help me to live how you live. Jesus, help me to live how you live, which is a good scenario, which is a great scenario. But I just wanna push one step past, her, uh, one step past that into, into this passage, because what's really cool about this passage is that we get to see this choice that Jesus makes is actually born out of a deep desire. It's not like Jesus begrudgingly says, I wanna eat bread, but I know I shouldn't, so dang, I'm just not going to. And he's sulking away, right? It's not what we get here. 
chapter four, Jesus responds to the temptation. The temptation is, if you're the son of man, tell these stones to become bread. He responds to the temptation. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is it that Jesus wants so badly here? What is this desire that's deep in his heart? Well, here's what he's referring to. He's referring to a situation where I can live in a way where God is my provider, where I'm dependent upon him. Look, I want to live in a way where I have this relationship with God the Father where he provides for me. That's the kind of relationship I want with him. I actually want to be dependent upon him. I desire dependence upon the Father. That is his deep, deep heart desire. And I've heard some argue, I totally disagree with this, but I've heard some people argue that that makes millennials the most Christ-like generation ever in America. No, that's that's not good. We know lots of independent millennials. See, it's so bad. Like, when, when did dependency become such a bad word? Right? When did dependency become such a, such a nasty thing? Like, it's so, it's, dependency is ugly. Anyways, here's the thing. The coolest thing about this is if you were to ask God the Father in heaven, what is the number one thing you want for your children? We want to think how he would respond. Because, okay, I'll just, I'll just tell you this. I'm a father. I got two kids. I got a five-year-old Caleb and I got a, and I got a three-year-old Kendall. Okay? They're the best kids in the universe. But I'll tell you what, if Caleb ever came to me, Caleb's my five-year-old, if he ever came to me and said, Daddy, Daddy, I've been thinking about my heart's desires, and I'm just wondering, if you could do whatever you wanted to do with my heart's desires, what would you do? Okay? This is a little bit silly, because he's five, and he's a deep thinker, but he's not that deep. But if he came to me and he said, Daddy, if you could change one thing about what I want, what would it be? And I would think about it for a minute, but I wouldn't think about it too long because I would know right away what I would want, okay? Because I would think about the number one most difficult thing for me is his dad, okay? And, uh, and don't judge me for this. But as a father, the most, the absolute worst part about being a father for me, particularly with my son Caleb, when he was three and when he was four, was, this happened every night, okay? Dinner time. The absolute worst Time of day for me as a dad, okay? So you're all sitting here judging me. I could, see, I could see the looks on your faces. Like, what a jerk. Okay, here's the thing. Caleb was three, Kendall was one. I want to have a nice dinner, but guess what happens every night? Kendall, she just throws all her food on the floor, right? And starts screaming. And Caleb, he's three. He, uh, you, you would have thought that like every night for dinner, we took a painting of food off the wall and set it down on the table for him and said, just look at it. It's art. And just enjoy the view, right? He had zero interest in food. Dinner time takes like 40 minutes. 40 minutes. You know how many times I say, Caleb, take a bite. 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 Take a bite. How about this? Next time you take a bite and I don't have to tell you to take a bite. Okay, to the, extent, to the extent where I, okay, I've spent hours dreaming up ways to solve this problem. And I actually think I've stumbled across something pretty spectacular. I'm going to share an idea with you. And uh, some of you who know me really well, you already know what I'm going to talk about, right? Because I'm really excited about this idea. If any of you feel like you can take this idea and run with it, make a million bucks, just have fun, okay? Take me out to dinner when you get rich off this idea. But imagine this, okay? Imagine a plate, 
right? Actually, it's like a base, an electronic plate base, right? But, a, but then a plate, like insert, that is, that is dishwasher safe, okay? And it's, and it's a kid's plate, so there's like three areas, right? Three areas for food. No, that's right, because the food can't touch, right? But there's a cutout in the middle, and this plate insert would sit into this base, and this base would be like, kind of like the game Simon, where it would light up in three areas, and there would be a red button in the middle, and, and you would turn it on, and in your child's favorite Disney character's voice would say, hey, it's dinner time, Caleb. Who's excited to eat, right? Press the button when you're ready for a bite, and it would go, doo and Caleb would press the red button in the middle, and it would light up all around the plate, doo 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 and then one area would stay lit, and it would be like, oh, look at that, like, you're taking a bite of protein, and the, the plate would be doing all this work, right? So Caleb would be like, wait, this is a game and I get a prize? Like a bite of chicken is my prize. Like everybody's a prize. Say, I've already, I already thought about the commercial. You want to buy the fun plate because every bite is a prize, okay? But then the best part is this, okay? And then I'll get back on, on the topic, okay? But I want to see this plate happen and somebody in here is going to make it happen. I know it. Okay. The best part is this. You set the timer. You set it to 60 seconds or you set it to 75 seconds or 90 seconds and automatically after 75 seconds, that plate says, Caleb, it's time to take another bite. Hit the button to find out what you're going to eat. Right? And he's like so excited about this. He hits the button and he gets to take another bite. If Caleb came to me, now I'll get back on track. Okay. If Caleb came to me and said, daddy, like if you could, if you could change anything about my heart's desires, the things that I want and crave, what would you do? I would say, I would just want you to want to eat your dinner. That's as simple as I am. That's all it would be. Here's the thing. (laughs) We go before our heavenly father. We go before this eternal, unchanging God, maker of all things. And we say, God, if you could change, if you could change anything about our heart's desires, if you could, if you could have your way with our wants, with the things that we want, he would say this in a, immediately he would say, I just, I would want you to want me to provide for you. I would just, I would want you to want to depend on me. That's who he is, his father. This is, is his very core of his heart, his being. He says he wants his children just to depend on him. He wants to be the one who provides. This is, you know, if we look at Jesus getting baptized and coming out into the wilderness, we, we think about how this is like a mirror story of what he did years and years and years ago with his, with his people, the nation of Israel, right? When he, they were slaves in Egypt and he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and he kind of baptized them through the Red Sea and he led them out into the wilderness. And the number one thing he wanted them to learn, which they could never learn, was this, you have to learn how to depend on me. You have to learn how to let me provide. This is what Jesus does. Satan comes to him in the desert when he's hungry and says, you got the power to provide for yourself. You got the power to satisfy yourself. What are you going to do with it? Jesus refuses, right? It's the good action he takes. But what's incredible about this story is that it is born out of a deep desire in his heart to depend upon God. And I just want to challenge us all this morning. Listen, it's compelling to think about how Jesus lived, right? And the actions that he takes and to adopt his behavior and say, that is good. Jesus, help me to live how you would live. But what if we could push past that and go before God and say, Jesus, help me to want what you want. And invite him to do a work in our hearts. So we live in such a way that it's desiring to be dependent on God. 
Um, the, the last thing I wanted to push into this morning was this um, best case scenario. Before any of this temptation happens, we read this story where Jesus comes up to John the Baptist and says, you need to baptize me. And, um, and he comes up out of the water and he heard, he heard the voice of the father say, this is my son. Okay, and I just wanna talk about how this is absolute best case scenario. And then finish up talking about great student life and what best case scenario looks like for us. Okay, because at the end of the day, the choice Jesus makes and the desires that are in his heart are directly in line with this identity that is given to him. When God says, you are my son and I am pleased with you, right? Jesus takes that identity and he clings to it when he's in the desert and he's tempted to live not as a son, to provide for himself. He says, no, I'm clinging to this identity that was given to me because my desires are to be the kind of son that I was told that I was. So for Grace Student Life Ministries and our teenagers, this is our best case scenario, right? It's a, you can argue that, um, that the most difficult thing that our teenagers are facing today is, um, is answering the question, who am I and, and why am I alive? Who am I, who am I and why am I alive? And I know we've been struggling with this question for generations, but... Um, you know, this, this, this past generation, I think, as, as society, as a culture, we've taken a step back and we've said, actually, this is really something you need to figure out on your own. We're not gonna give you too much help when you're asking these questions about who I am and why I'm alive because we just don't wanna steer you the wrong way. We wanna, we wanna let you figure that out on your own. In Grace Student Life Ministries, we, in, the midst of, in the midst of a culture that's saying, we, we don't wanna help you, answer that question. We're kind of reaching out. We're saying, actually, we, we actually really do want to help you answer that question, who you are and why you're alive. Because if we haven't wrestled with those things, then every time we make a challenge about how to live or what to want, now what we're doing is we're encouraging our kids to be someone they're not sure they are. And that's the number one thing I know I can do to suck the life out of Great Student Life Ministries. Heap burdens on their heads about how to live and what to want if they're not really, haven't really wrestled with who they are and why they're alive. So this fall, I am so excited about this fall. I'm excited for the first three weeks of this fall because we're doing a series that is attacking this issue. And we're gonna present our teenagers with three truths about who they are. Three truths about who God says they are. We're gonna work to convince them. It sounds so manipulative, but it's really, it's really not, right? Here's what we want them to know that they're divinely inspired. Sorry, I get a little emotional. This is a struggle for our kids and they need to be told these things. They are divinely inspired. They are relentlessly loved and they are eternally purposed. And we're just gonna say that over and over until they believe it. You are divinely inspired. You are relentlessly loved. You are eternally purposed. And our best case scenario is not that they would hear Pastor Matt saying these things over and over. Oh yeah, Pastor Matt tells me I'm divinely inspired. Pastor Matt tells me I'm relentlessly loved. Pastor Matt tells me that I'm eternally purposed, but that they would have an encounter with Almighty God and they would hear it directly from him. And they would hear God say, you're divinely inspired. I made you. 
and you were made in my likeness. My face was the inspiration for yours. And I love you relentlessly and there's nothing you could do to change it. The death I died, I can't undie it. That's how relentless my love is for you. I acted in a permanent way to prove it to you and that you are purposed eternally, that you are so much more than all of the temporary purposes you might conjure up here on this earth. And our best case scenario is that born out of those ideas, we begin to ask questions like, okay, if I am, what does that look like to be that? If I'm a son of God, if I'm a daughter of God, what does the son of God want? What does the daughter of God want? How does the son of God live? How does the daughter of God live? And we just get to help them answer those questions. That's our best case scenario. Listen, this morning, just in closing, um, we've got a, a prayer team over here on the wall. We see the sign says, need prayer. And this morning, you might've heard me just mention these prayers multiple times. Jesus, help me live how you live. Jesus, help me want what you want. And I just, I just want you to let you know that if those prayers are resonating at all with you and you're considering praying those prayers, right, you have the opportunity to have those prayers prayed for you professionally with our prayer team. I've prayed with these people. They're good prayers. So I want to encourage you just to think about doing that. Um, and then I personally would love a chance to meet, to meet you, particularly if you're new here at Grace or uh, this is your you know, first few weeks, we do what's called Grace in Five. Uh, and it's gonna be over here in, on the side over there. And uh, it starts three minutes after service. And uh, it's just an opportunity for me to tell you everything you might wanna know about grace in five minutes or less. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, uh, we're so grateful that you lived life in the flesh to experience what we experience and you you know what it means to be tempted and be tried and um, we praise you for the way you were able to navigate your time in in the flesh on this earth perfectly providing for us a new definition for what it means to be human jesus we thank you we just ask that your spirit would be at work in our lives and for, for any here who are praying, Jesus, help me to live how you lived. Jesus, help me to want what you want, that you would be quick to answer that. Amen. All right, everybody, have a, great, have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.